Welcome to the Whitehead Files. I am really excited. I've put my best leopard skin jacket on uh, because she's a fashion icon to me anyway. So I wanted to look good for her today. We have Professor Erin Mabel, MBE, and uh, she's a DL as well. She's a peace activist and she's recognised for her work in relation to gun crime. We'll talk about that in a, in a minute. Um, uh, She's done so many things that in the time that we've got, I'm not sure whether this might be a two-parter. I'm not sure how we'll do it, but I'm going to go over now and just welcome Arinma. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you're you very You're much. looking fabulous, looking fabulous. Thank you. Tell, I want you to and tell you. me... Thank you. Tell me your journey so far wow. um, in snippets. So... You were in London, I believe, before you, you... You're a Mancunian. I am a Mancunian, born and bred. Nice yes. one, nice yes, one. Good. Um, but you were in London. Yes, moved down to London, you know, for, as they say, you know, better prospects, better job prospects. I actually got promotion in the job that I was in up here in Manchester. I was promoted to a position in London for the same organisation. So that's what moved me down my... Um, partner who is now my husband he'd already moved down as well for a better job and so yeah we both moved down to London was living and working in London uh, for about oh nine ten years yeah and um, I want to take you back because I want to I go straight in and take you back to that time when you came to Manchester to visit with some friends mm -hmm. and something happened yeah. talk to us about that Actually, we just moved back to Manchester. There's a lot of um, personal things going on. You know, my mother had just passed away and um, we didn't know what to do with the house. That's my family home. Mm. Um, my dad didn't want to be on his own, you know, because he was in Nigeria and coming back, he was here on his own. So we decided to move back because at the same time, we were just about to move house. We, we just needed to sign, you know, the contract, actually. And uh, my husband used to come up here a lot, you know, and we used to come up, you know, but too often, you know, for funerals. And for funerals of young people whose parents we actually knew, they were our peers. Mm. So he made the decision that, look, you know, let's move back to Manchester to try and see what we can do, try and see, you know, what's happening in our neighbourhood, Mosside, you know, where he was brought up, um, wasn't born there, but was brought up there. I was born and brought up, you know, in Mosside. Let's go back and see what we can do. So we did move back up, you know, relocated back. And uh, long story short, and one evening, we were going out around Christmas time to a Christmas do. Mm -hmm. There were six of us in our car. And we had the people carrier then because of all the children. And um, as we were approaching the house, we'd come out of the car. As we were approaching the house, I was in front of my friend uh, called Charlie. And unfortunately, what happened was there was three guys at the doorway. One of them kind of like tugged him on his jacket. You know how someone tells you to get your attention? Yeah, yeah. And as he turned took his hood down as he turned around to see who wanted his attention these three guys stood at the doorway just brought out weapons and just opened fire on him oh, just like that God yeah God. i remember seeing him fall to the ground didn't know what was going on because you know gun crime wasn't part of our lives you know it wasn't actually physically part of our lives like that you mm. know you hear about it you read it in the paper, you listen to it on the news. Mm -hmm. And there was a part of me that felt, you know what, gun crime, gang crime, that happens to them. You yeah. know, it happens to people like them, you know. Um, I never expected that one night it, I'd be part of the them, you know, mm -hmm. me and my husband were. And uh, he was shot 12 times. 12 um, times? Yeah, which we didn't know till afterwards. Um, it was just an awful, awful night. Mm -hmm. um, he did survive. 
because um, I made the 999 call. I had to, you know, at the time, I remember my husband picked me up and ran across the road. It's when I said to him that, you know, it's Charlie. He said, no, they can't be shooting Charlie, because as far as we know, you know, no one's going to shoot any of us. We yeah, haven't yeah. done anything. Yeah. And I said, yeah, it is. It's Charlie, you know. So I ran back, you know, fool. <laughs> but I ran back. Instinct, and, though. Yeah, it was. You know, it's that... I mean, now when I look back, it's that, you know, fight or flight. Yes. And I think I fight. I stood there, you know, yeah. argued, shouted, rang 999. And so many things happened that night. Uh, took 45 minutes for emergency services to arrive, even though we were five minutes down the road from the hospital, MRI. Um, they told us they had to do a risk assessment first before they come into the area. Uh, you know, so it was like... So who does our risk assessment? You know, what about us? Mm. I remember speaking to the call handler and, um, oh, she was asking me loads of questions. You know, they, they go through the usual, what's happening? I said, oh, my friend's been shot. My friend's been shot. I need an ambulance. My friend's been shot. How do you know he's been shot? Because people shot him. Are you sure he's been shot? Yes, he's been shot. Where's he been shot? I don't know. So how do you know he's been shot? I said, because I saw the people shooting him. So how many times has he been shot? I don't know how many times he's been shot. Wow. So what emergency service do you need? I need an ambulance. Are you sure you need an ambulance? Yes, I do need a... Why do you need an ambulance? Because my friend's been... You know, we're going around wow. in circles. And there was a point in the conversation, and I only know this because they played it back to me. Right. When uh, the woman asked me, you know, she says... Um, you know, are you sure you need an ambulance? You know, I says, you know what? I says, of course I need an I've told you several times. And then, you know, I says to her, you know what? We need, we need the fire brigade. She said, the fi I said, yeah, there's a fire. I said, we need the fire brigade. I said, we also need the army. We need the army. I said, you know what? We need the fire brigade. We need the army. I said, even send a fucking helicopter. I said, and you know what? We might just get a fucking ambulance. And, you know, with that, I just exploded. Yeah. And then I started breaking down. I remember saying to her, look, if you're not going to send an ambulance, please just tell me what to do. My friend's dying on the floor. I yeah. just need to know what to do. Mm. So she went through the first aid. But in, even after that, do you know they wanted to prosecute me for verbal abuse to a call handler? What? Mm -hmm. in, in that traumatic situation? Yeah. Because it was, it was, it was a tantamount to a little bit of a war zone. Yeah. <laughs> and you just wanted the emergency services That's all I wanted, to yeah. be there. So emotionally, oh. you just needed to get them there. Yeah, that's it. You know, so when they told me that, I said, you know, at first I was like, I didn't say anything wrong. You know, when the press, the thing you listen, I was like, yes, that is me. I said, right. but come on. She asked me, it was about eight or nine times she asked me what emergency services do I want. Mm. And I told her every time I said I needed an ambulance. And you know what they told me? She couldn't understand my accent. So a lot of things were learnt from that night. You know, where I felt also that I had to stand up and speak. Because even our peers, some of our peers, you know, local people, neighbours, mm -hmm. friends, were saying, oh, we don't speak to the police around. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't speak to the police. You know, and it was like, for me, it was like, yeah, but I've just seen an injustice being done. Yes. You know, I have to speak. Yeah. We were warned not to speak to the police. Mm -hmm. We were threatened not to speak to the police. That How wall of silence is need real. To change. It need, needs, needs to be changed, and this is where you come in to try and make that change. Change, obviously, because, you know, we then quickly realised the reason why, you know, the murders or the shootings, not all, and the shootings were not being solved, because people were not talking to the police, and the mm. police were not talking to the people, mm. you know. And so we became that bridge in between. You know, we were saying to local people, if we want the police, who were being blamed for not solving any of the crimes and any of the murders, mm. but if we want them to solve the crimes, we've got to talk to them. Yes. And we were saying to the police, 
If you want to solve these crimes, really want to solve them, you need to be talking to us. Exactly. We need to know what do you know from what you don't know. Mm. You know, what investigations have you done from what you haven't done? And so that's when, cutting a long story short, what we started to do, you know, because we were going to a lot of community meetings, and then it was my husband that said, you know what, these community meetings, the police need to be here as well. They need to hear the anger, mm. you know, of people. So one of the things uh, of the conversations that we've had mm. is about the guns and the type of guns that got into the hands oh, yeah. of 13, 14, 15-year-olds. Mm. Well, one of the things we were always saying to local and central government mm -hmm. is the fact that, remember, this is the UK where guns are illegal. Yes. That was the bottom line. Guns are illegal in this country. So therefore, how come guns are now on the streets, mm. being used, you know, willy-nilly on the streets. Mm -hmm. This is a country where guns are illegal. Mm. Also, we found out that uh, a young man who was 14, who was arrested on the streets of Mossad with a Glushkinov weapon, they did forensics, our local police did forensics on that weapon, and that weapon had been used in the Bosnia war. So now that was a question that I put to the Home Secretary. How does a weapon that's been used in the Bosnia war, mm -hmm. not only end up in the UK, in Manchester, and in the hands of a 14-year-old. Yeah. How does that happen? When this 14-year-old didn't even know where Piccadilly train station was. Let alone Bosnia. Bosnia. So, you know, that was a question that we were putting to government. How does that happen? Mm. And it's not 14-year-olds that smuggle weapons in. Mm. It could never be 14-year-olds. You know, mm -hmm. the weapon has obviously been smuggled in, yeah. but not by the 14 year old who was who had it in the streets. Mm -hmm. Weapons are being smuggled in by adults, mm -hmm. adults and only adults and adults that have that authority. Adults that, you know, know that they can walk through with weapons. Mm -hmm. And again, they're not 14 year olds. They're not 16 year olds. They're not 18 year olds. Yeah. And they certainly weren't young black men either. Yeah. Well, you know, you, well, you know, you know, we know that there's a there's a pecking order. We know that there is. There is a, it's a basically a layer cake, isn't mm. it? Oh, yes. And, and that yes. poor 14-year-old, that is a victim, a victim of that layer cake. Absolutely. At the end of the day. I mean, absolutely. And one of the things we were saying back then, any young person that reached the criminal justice system, even till today, mm -hmm. they've been failed by adults. Because yeah. no young person is born bad. You know, they're not born bad. They're not born wicked. They're not born naughty or, you know, horrible. They learn that unwanted behavior from adults, the adults that are around them. That's where they learn it from. So when they end up in the criminal justice system, they've been failed by adults, mm. not failed by themselves, by the adults around them. And that's another thing we were advocating to adults, to parents and carers mm -hmm. and the responsible adults around young people, teachers, youth workers, foster carers even, mm. that, you know, you, we... We're failing our young people mm -hmm. and we've got to stop failing them if we want them to, you know, have a better future and to dream of a future. And one of the things we started to do through Peace Week, because we did, um, we declared a week of peace every year, mm. was enable young people to dream again. Mm -hmm. You know, enable them to dream, enable them to dream beyond 18. Because I have in the past heard young people say, well, if I get to 18, I've lived a long life. Wow. Really? Wow. You know, and that is so sad to hear. It's heartbreaking. It is. Absolutely heartbreaking. You know. So you, you've, been, um, you've been tirelessly, tirelessly campaigning. And I, I want to sort of bring it around, because you, you keep saying we, and I'm guessing the we is charisma. Yes. 
Community Alliance for Renewal in a in South Manchester area. Inner South Manchester inner, area. South. Yeah, we decided to say inner because it's it's Mancunian. Isn't yeah, inner, yeah, inner. Uh, <laughs> you got it right. Got yes. charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the we that you're talking yes, about. Yes, that's the we. Yes, okay. we're we're a very small team. Uh, we were then, we still are. People used to think we were bigger than what we were. We were able to basically build a lot of social capital amongst local people. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of local people on board. Um, social capital, I talk about this all the time, bonding, bridging, linking, and identity. Bonding, you know, knowing or getting people to recognize the fact that people naturally bond and gravitate towards people that look like them. So, for example, with young people, when we see a group of young people on the street corner, don't start judging them. Those are their peers. They're yes. going to hang out with them. Yeah. You know, we all did that. You know, if we see a group of women who wear hijabs all huddled together talking, don't judge them. No, exactly. You know, they're huddled together because they have something in common. They speak the same language. They dress the same, mm. you know. But what that tends to do is those of us that don't belong to those groups, it causes the phobia in us, mm. Islamophobia, homophobia. Mm. I wish there was a word, you know, xenophobia. I wish there was one for young people, young people phobia. I'll create one soon. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, people well, that are afraid of young people. Generation phobia. Yeah, you know. Um, and what we did very well, we became that bridge, you know, bridge between young, um, between local grassroots individuals and groups mm. and the key stakeholders of our community because we felt we spoke both languages. Yeah, we're Mancunian born and bred. We're from the grassroots. But we've also worked and interacted, you know, with institutional organisations and know exactly how they operate. And know their fears as well, mm-hmm. you know, and be upfront with them about their fears, you know, fear of young people, fear of black people, fear of guns, fear of gun crime. We knew that as well. So let's be upfront and talk upfront and let's all work together. Fantastic. And, and with all this work that you've, you've done, um, Karen Lyons has created oh, yeah. a fantastic bust of you. I'm absolutely obsessed by it. You know, every time I see you, I go, <laughs> ooh, and, you know... Uh, last year I got you on stage just before the lockdown when we did the massive walk for women which was awesome and you and I got on stage I think we've got some pictures that we might put in to this interview of you and I I don't know what we're doing but we're in sync doing something on stage I (laughs) I have no idea what we're doing and you know I talked about the fact that you know you you were in the town hall the bus was in the town hall it's about one and a half sizes bigger than 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 you than an actual human uh, head mm. and uh, now it's in central library it so it's sort of uh, on the stairs in central library if anybody's going in central library go and have a look at the professor arinma bell bust because it's fantastic and why is it fantastic arinma well it's first of all it's made out of 50 recycled guns as a tribute to my work on anti-gun and gang crime because charisma did manage to reduce gun crime being that pressure group on local and central government Reduced gun crime by 92% in Greater Manchester. This is fantastic. And the other paradigm in history that it creates is, one, I'm the first woman in 150 years to have a statue of herself unveiled in Manchester Town Hall. Mm -hmm. Two, I'm a black woman, African woman. And three, most importantly, I'm still alive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the things I champion. I say this all the time. And I said this when we've done our International Women's Day events. It's great to talk about the people that have gone by. Mm. But there are people here right now Mm. on our doorstep that are living and breathing and show our appreciation 
for those individuals and you professor Unrebel, are one of them mm -hmm. and i thank will you. always champion you thank you thank you for much. coming in to speak to me you're welcome <laughs>